when Scott Morrison first said four metres square, we looked at each other and thought, well, this is it, we're done. We're a two person team. We don't, there's no backers. There's no one behind the scenes, you know, helping us out. This is how we put food on our table. And we were just like, we're, we're done. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Restaurant models. From the mum and pop shops in every suburb to franchises, restaurant groups, those with a farm to plate ethos and the spit and polish of the top end. There are many models, but most agree to remain viable, you need a certain amount of seats and a lot of bums on those seats. But is that always the case? With the pandemic upending our entire lives, will we rethink our role with food, with restaurants and the way we dine out? Zoe Birch is a co-owner of Greasy Zoe's, an intimate six-seat produce-driven restaurant in the heart of Hertzbridge, Victoria. Hi Zoe, how are you going? I'm really good, how are you doing? Good, thanks for joining us today. Um, how are you feeling at the moment? The Victorian government's just announced they've closed the borders with New South Wales. What's it like being in Victoria? Uh, I think we're starting to feel pretty nervous. Um, you know, in your intro, you sort of said, you know, rethinking food, the restaurant model. Well, we kind of rethought the restaurant model four years ago when we signed the lease for the Greasy Zoe's restaurant. Um, we thought we rethought the, food, the restaurant model out of complete frustration at the industry. And we thought, well, let's do a really small restaurant with two people owning and running it. Mm. And we thought... And we did really well and we thought we were safe, we came up with this great model and COVID's totally turned us on our heads. Being small is is not great because our space is tiny. So yeah, we, we were 12 seats and we've gone down to six. So we're doing um, less than half of what we were doing a week. So we're very nervous and we're in a small town called Hurstbridge, which is still part of Melbourne, but it's about 45 minutes from the CBD. And a lot of our clientele come from inner city Melbourne. So as we're watching those postcodes get shut down, we're becoming increasingly more and more nervous because we've literally just reopened as a restaurant last week was the first reopening. And yeah, we're a bit, we're a bit scared. Well, a lot of restaurants uh, had to change their model because of the pandemic and they were forced into it. But you made a change four years ago. Can you tell us about some of the frustrations that you had and why you came up with this uh, restaurant model? Mm. Look, um, I think at the beginning of the year, uh, and we don't really need to go into it, but the hospitality industry was in a bad way um, for so many reasons, you know, staff not getting paid properly or overworked and and yeah four years ago we were just fed up we'd moved out we moved out to the Yarra Valley from Melbourne um, about six years ago and we just had a couple of bad experiences my partner Lachlan and I and we just got to the point where we sat down and it was like we're either gonna leave hospitality and figure out something something new or we have to open a restaurant for ourselves um, and especially being a female in the industry it's even more pressure and it's even more difficult um, so yeah you know we, apart from being 
overworked and underpaid. I think we were just pretty, you know, it's not a very sustainable industry. Um, you know, sick of working in big restaurants and seeing huge amounts of produce and the ridiculous amounts of wastage and, uh, yeah, so we sort of took a step back and, and basically just tried to come up with a completely different way to look at it. Um, and, yeah, we found this tiny fruit and veg shop that um, someone we knew actually um, was um, sort of selling. Well, not really selling, but um, she didn't want the space anymore. And we sort of walked in and looked at the space and thought, um, okay, maybe we can make this work. And, um, yeah, we've been... We've been open for three years. We've had the lease for four, so we had a bit of a tough time getting permits and such. So for a full year, we, we weren't open, which was tough. Yeah, so it was like we were both working three jobs and just, you know, it was terrible. But, um, yeah, so we roll it with just the two of us. Um, Lachlan, uh, he's solo on the floor. He's meeting and greeting, um, chatting about wine, chatting about the food, and I'm solo in the kitchen doing everything I'm doing the prep I'm doing the dishes and plating up everything um, all the produce we use is um, is basically hyper local so um, as close to the restaurant what, do, what does that mean could you tell us what hyper local means yeah okay so local um, I hate the term local and seasonal because often it's not accurate so to use local produce means that you can basically get it within 100 kilometres, which is quite a, you know, just fair distance away. But hyperlocal is, basically means it's within your province. Um, so we predominantly get food uh, as close to the restaurant as possible. We have um, three farmers in the area um, which, where we get all of our fruit and veg. We go, we pick it. We're helping them plant, wow. talking about the seasons coming up. We're there with them when things go wrong. You know, you might have 100 heads of broccoli ready and then the next day the kangaroos have taken a bite out of all of them. You know, we're working literally directly with everybody that um, produces food for the restaurant. Um, and that's basically what hyperlocal means. Um, and, yeah, so we now seat six people. Um, uh, uh, service. Uh, the menu changes. It's a set menu, but with no, it's not a written menu. It changes every week fully, um, and we're able to do that because we are sort of quality over quantity. We're not catering for that many people. We're able to um, uh, we're able to um, help out those really tiny local producers. Um, and the, the only thing we do get outside, so everything's Victorian and as close as possible, the only thing we do get from outside of Victoria is um, Wapengo oysters, which are from New South Wales, which will be probably tricky now. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, so they're organic, sustainable products. That's the only thing we get out of Victoria. Um, but, yeah, so the menu changes every day and, um, and yeah, everything's sustainable. We produce hardly any waste all the green waste we produce gets turned into compost 
We don't use, um, uh, you know, all the packaging, everything that arrives at the restaurants in reusable crates and we don't use plastic and blah, blah, blah. And we're able to do that because we're so small and that was the sort of point going into this restaurant. Has this mode of running a restaurant changed your views on food uh, globally? And what's been the impact of the last three years on you with your hands in the soil in this way? Um, We've got a major appreciation for, I mean, hospitality is tough and everybody that works in hospitality works hard, but we have a huge appreciation for the people producing the food now. I just don't think we really understood how hard it is and how hard they work. Um, so, um, yeah, we've got we've got our fingers in a lot of pies now. We're, um, yeah, just working with these people and we're, you know, for, let's go back to the, the Wapengo oysters. Shane was evacuated from his farm five times at the beginning of the year because of the fires. How, how devastating would that have been to his year. Last year, he closed his season six months early because of flooding. You know, it's just constant. So um, I suppose that's, you know, and yeah, that, we've learned a lot in over the last three years, definitely. A little earlier, you sort of mentioned that it was a 12-seat restaurant and now six and, you know, the, and the pandemic has changed this model that you thought was you know, the ideal model. Um, can you tell us about those early, that early period when the pandemic hit and the lockdown happened and the, the impact on you and Lachlan? So um, we closed about, we closed on the 20th, which was the Friday, and that was the day the four metres squared restrictions were, um, were released um, because our restaurant's so tiny. At the time, we just looked at each other and went, we can fit four people in the restaurant and since then we've rethought the fit out and we've taken a lot of things out and moved our bar and so now we can fit six people but when it was first when Daniel Andrews well Scott Morrison first said four meters square we looked at each other and thought well this is it we're done who would have thought at the beginning of this year everything was going well you know every year we come back to Greasy Zoe's we we have a five-week break at the beginning of the year um, we go camping, we relax, we come back, you know, refreshed, ready for a new year, we have a plan. And it was just like, who would have thought this happened? And when it, when it happened, we both looked at each other and went, well, we're, we're fucked. Like, we're, we're a two-person team. We don't, there's no backers. There's no one behind the scenes, you know, helping us out. This is how we put food on our table. And we were just like, we're, we're done. What are we going to do? We've literally got a restaurant that's not worth anything now. Um, it was pretty scary. So I think we, yeah, we had to close on the Friday. So we had to immediately cancel all the bookings. And, um, and I think the Saturday we literally just got shit faced (laughs) and and just kind of tried to forget about it for a bit, obviously, as you do. And then we woke up on the Sunday and, and with a sore head and a sore heart, and thought, oh, come on, we're not going to lose the restaurant. We can, we can figure this out. And, you know, so many good things about being a tiny independent team. There's only two people to make decisions. So we were pretty, we were pretty quick to, to do some brainstorming and try and figure out what on earth we were going to do. Um, 
we went into fight fight or flight mode, mode immediately um, and decided that oh, it's, it's fine we can we can do takeaway and it, it'll be okay um, you know got on the email immediately trying to get rid of reductions and try and figure out you know all the things that could help us and and look we did we've been pretty lucky we've got a nice being still part of Melbourne 45 minutes from the CBD it's a little bit um, more relaxed out here. It's not as scary as if we were right in the middle of it. Um, so we've got a lot of local support. The local community helped us out a lot. Um, but, you know, we went from feeding 60 people a week to catering to over 200 people with just the two of us um, and, and baking sourdough on top of that. We were baking 200 loaves of sourdough um, a week in a in a in an oven that fits nine loaves of bread, <laughs> so we we were working flat chat. The amount of people that said to me, "Oh, what are you going to do with all your spare time?" and I thought, "We're working harder than we've ever worked in our lives." What are you talking about? Um, yeah, it's been it's been very interesting. And you know, on top of that, at the beginning of the year, um, as I said before, we, we take about five weeks off and we go camping. It's a bit of an annual thing. We go with a big group of friends. We go out to the Crojingong National Park and eat Gibbsland, and we were there during the fires. So we got evacuated and our campground is burnt and we lost 10 years' worth of camping gear and a heap of our friends were stranded in Mallacoota. It's been a really intense year. Yeah. How has this experience affected you in the last couple of months? Oh, we've, I don't know. I mean, on one, to, you know, on one degree we're blown away with what we've achieved. I've never, neither of us have, we've had to learn a lot and we're, yeah, I think we're really proud of ourselves. We've just jumped into it and done what we've needed to do and accomplished a huge amount and even figuring out that we could open for six people and we've just completely changed, sort of changed the, we've had to change the restaurant. We've had to increase the price, which is something we didn't want to do, but we've had to do and we've, we've changed a little bit what we're doing and we're very, we're just blown away with what, what you can achieve if you have to, like if you're pushed. But then on the other end, like it's been incredibly stressful and, and we're tired you know, we're exhausted and it's just one of those sort of terrible, frustrating moments where you look at each other and you're like, I love what I do, but I don't know how much longer I can deal with this crazy roller coaster ride, as, you know, lame as that expression is. But it's true. It's been a roller coaster, out of control. So we're pretty stressed out at the same time. How many more times is it going to change? Are we going to have to close again? Are we going to have to go back to takeaway mode? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's been a rough ride. A little earlier, you said that you opened for the first time last week again mm. um, as a six-seat mm. um, restaurant. What, what was last week like and how did you prepare for, the, for that reopening? So um, we, we were closed. For, so we did the takeaway um, up until two weeks ago. We closed. Um, we had to pull our bar out and squeeze it into a corner so we could fit another two people. We basically had to do a mini renovation 
which is ridiculous because who wants to spend money at a time like this? But it was sort of like, we know how long this is going to last. It's going to last for a long time. We're going to be living with COVID. It's not going away. So unfortunately, we had to make a bit of an investment and spend some money, do a bit of a re mini renovation. Um, so yeah, we closed down for two weeks and kind of didn't think about anything else. Um, and yeah, got new plates made. Um, we support a lot of local artists, so we got a lot of lot more local artwork made up, and you know, some, a local man made some messmate tabletops for us. And we've basically we've just been spending money for the last two weeks in preparation for feeding six people, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, but it's it, I don't know. We, I suppose we didn't really have a choice. Um, so yeah, it's it's been two weeks of just you know brains on constantly thinking um and we've got a we've got an almost two-year-old as well so we operate the restaurant with the two of us and we have uh, an almost two-year-old child so yeah lots of juggling at the same time you are busy very busy yes so uh, what did you cook that first week last week lots of things um lots of things um we obviously use a lot of vegetables. In Hurstbridge, we're part of um, the Shire of Nillenbeek, so we're part of the Green Wedge. So we've got a lot of um, amazing produce at our disposal in terms of veggies. So um, mushrooms, lots of mushrooms. Um, we get um, Swiss brown mushrooms from Strathion, which is about 10 kilometres away. Um, they're grown in shipping containers as well as we get um, some native mushrooms um, from a guy called John um, in the Yarra Valley. So a couple of mushroom dishes. We had um, some truffles from Murialik, which we drove out. We picked them ourselves. Um, we had some uh, Murray cod on the menu, some sardines. This week um, we had an organic chicken on the menu. Um, We've got a wood fire grill, so we've a lot of stuff going over the wood fire grill, um, lots of baked items. We just, one of the premises of Greasy Zoe's is that we do everything ourselves. So homemade cheese and homemade cured meats and lots of ferments, miso that we make. And so lots of fermented products and tasty things like that. Yeah. As a hyper-local restaurant, and, you know, you just talked about some of your producers that are just a stone's throw away. What impact have you seen on the producers in your area? They've actually been very lucky. So you, we were speaking earlier about sort of the change to the industry. An amazing thing that's come out of this is that people are starting to support their local artisan, you know, their local producers. So actually when the restaurants closed, in particular, one of the first things that we felt was guilt. We thought, oh my gosh, yes, we're only a tiny restaurant, but we support all these people. We support all these producers. What are they going to do? And so, you know, through the takeaway, we tried to use as many of the products as possible, but they've been so lucky because the local community all of a sudden has turned around and gone, oh, oh my gosh, there's chickens just up the road and there's organic eggs around the corner. And, you know, so it's been, it's actually been amazing for the producers because they've, they've gotten a new clientele overnight that have started to support them. And I'm really hoping that this is something that continues. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that the food industry 
in that regard is going to change um, for the long haul. Um, so yeah, they've they've been fine. You know, the conversations that I've had with them, where you know I'm on I'm on the phone thinking, oh my gosh, how are you doing? And they're just like, oh yeah, we're good. We've we're never we've never been busier. We're doing 200 fruit boxes a, a week, and I'm thinking, oh okay, good. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, they've they've landed on their feet, which is great, and it's exactly what should have happened. Definitely. You said a little earlier how you've had to do a little bit of renovating um, because COVID's going to stick around for a while. Do you think that uh, people and the industry are going to rethink food and restaurants moving forward? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's going to be different ways that people rethink restaurants and there's so much information out there. It's It's so confusing. I've read so many articles with chefs sort of saying that they're going to create, you know, more sort of hearty home-cooked meals at reasonable prices and then other chefs that have talked about, well, you know, the price of food's going to go up now and it's going to be more fine dining and it's going to be more expensive. So it's kind of, it's pretty confusing times. I think customers are pretty confused, but also extremely, extremely excited to be able to get out of the house, but at the same time, how much longer is that going to last? Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be different forever. Um, yeah, I mean, social distancing, we're going to be working with that for, forever, for ages, I would have thought. I mean, eventually it'll go down to two metres squared, which will actually help us because we'll be able to fit another two people in. But, yeah, we're going to be living with another two people. It sounds ridiculous, but it would make a huge difference. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to, yeah, we'll be living with this forever. The industry has, will be changed. Um, yeah. How were the diners that came in last week? Did you have conversations with them and how they're feeling and um, in regards to restaurants and moving forward? Yeah, we had a great, we had a great um, crowd the week just gone. And because we are so small and we are just a two-person team, we get to talk to everyone, which is great, as people walk out the door. Um, and everyone... We actually, funny, funnily enough, on the Sunday had a doctor of infectious diseases come in, so it was actually really great to talk to him <laughs> and get the lowdown. Um, but, yeah, we had a good chat with everyone um, and we had a lot of people come out, a couple of people come out on the train, which I was pretty surprised about, and we had a lot of people come out in an Uber, which I was pretty surprised about. We weren't really sure what the reaction was going to be. We thought a lot of people would be driving, but we had a lot of people come out on public transportation, which, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a couple of different classes of people. There's people that don't believe that this is happening. There's people that are really scared and paranoid, and there are people that are just kind of in the middle that understand but aren't going overboard with it. I think we had a lot of those people in. No one seemed particularly nervous. Everyone's very aware of what's happening, and as... Um, Postcodes get shut down, but yeah, I don't know. Everyone, everyone was pretty calm, cool, and collected, which was surprising. We didn't. We were a bit on edge. We were really nervous. We were really nervous about reopening. We had no idea what people were going to be like. You know, our menu starts because it's a small space. Obviously, there's heaps of room for only six people. But you know, our menu starts with heaps of finger food at the beginning, and it was like, well, how are people going to? how are people going to deal with this? Are they going to be comfortable using their hands? And has 
how is this going to change? But yeah, no, we had a really cool crew, but I mean, that, that's probably going to change as the, as the weeks go by. I mean, who knows? I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen, but we, luckily enough, the first week, everyone was great. Yeah. What have been the unexpected surprises of the pandemic for you? I mean, I think we've been pretty, I think we've been pretty surprised just with how supportive the local community has been to all of its businesses. Um, you know, we were so worried when we had to open for takeaway because it was something we'd never done and we didn't know how much to charge and we didn't know if anyone would want it. And, you know, we basically sold out every week we did it. But the amount of people in this tiny little community that would literally just walk door to door to every business and just buy something just to make sure that they stay stuck around. I was, I've been pretty blown away with how um, generous I think people are. Obviously there's been, you know, there's, there are shit, there's always shit people, <laughs> yeah. but there's also, it's just the way it goes, but there's also just a, all the, a lot of beautiful people have emerged, especially where we are. And that's been pretty surprising. I'm not, I mean, I'm a realist, I'm not a pessimist, and I've been working in this industry for a long time. So you do lose faith in humanity slightly working in hospitality. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've, we've had so many people come out and support us. It's been incredible. I remember when I put the post up on the Saturday saying, sorry guys, we're closing. We don't know if we're going to reopen. We don't know what's happening. And the amount of people that rang me and sent me messages saying, oh, you know, I'm in marketing, I, I can help you, or I'm a photographer, I can take photos of you for free, and, oh, I'm, I, you know, I own a packaging company, do you, what do you need? Like, so that's been amazing. Wow. Just so surprising how generous and beautiful people can be um, in, in times like this. Yeah. I know it is challenging at the moment, but you changed your restaurant model a few years ago um, and run a pretty tight ship, and I guess... you given the viability of restaurants and the margins are so slim, you know, what, what does it take to run a viable restaurant at such as at the scale that you do? Um, okay. So um, we're a two person team um, that makes a huge difference at where the operators and where the owners and operators, I think that makes a pretty big difference. Um, I think we, um, we do a set menu only which is fantastic in terms of wastage. It's a, we really do run a really tight ship. There's just no, there's no wastage in this kitchen. There's no wastage with our booze. You know, we're turning any leftover wine and beer into vinegar. I think that's very important. Um, you've, you've got to have, you've got to know the numbers. You've got to have a, a bit of an understanding of, you know, um, your accounts and how much things cost. And we're very lucky, you know, we really thought about this. Um, I think we've had a lot of, when we first opened, we had a lot of people. When we first opened the restaurant, we were both 28 years old and we had a lot of people in the community that were a little bit like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, what are you doing? This, this is a tiny restaurant. How are you gonna make money? You're in Hurstbridge. Hardly anyone's heard of this town. But we, we looked at it, like this. Hurstbridge is the end of the line. 
it's going to train line. That's really important. So you can jump on the train at Flinders Street and you can come here. That's great. So public transportation, good. Lots of Uber, Ubers, that's another tick. It's easy for taxis to get here, great. Um, there's a point of difference, using local produce, set menu only, no wastage, two-person team, low st staff costs. And we're in a very small town, so in terms of rent, it's, it's not like paying rent on Flinders Lane. So we've really, we've worked in a lot of different restaurants. I've been doing this for 16 years now and I've seen, I've seen so many restaurants go under. I've worked with so many owners with just no concept. Um, and I've also worked in a lot of successful places and seen how they've run. So, you know, when we were trying to figure this out, and, you know, we're, we're two chefs, essentially. We don't have any money. So it was also a thrifty thing. You know, how can we be as thrifty as possible and make this work? Um, so, yeah, we, we were so calculated with the decision. And, yeah, a lot of people thought we were crazy. Even our family was extremely worried when, when we told them the concept. And also that we were calling it Greasy Zoe's, which for a, you know, a fine dining restaurant, I don't know if the word greasy is the best decision. But people were very <laughs> nervous. Um, so possibly we've proven them wrong and maybe, maybe we kind of know what we're doing, <laughs> have a little bit of an idea. So, yeah, look, I think a lot goes into having a, having a successful um, hospitality venue. After the initial sort of impact of the lockdown and concerns that maybe it was the end for your restaurant and going through that period and opening up again, what's some of the positives to come out of that and you know, what are you hopeful for in the future with the restaurant? Well, we're actually loving being a six-seater. Um, that's, a, that's a positive. I think we'd always dreamt because the venue is so small, we'd always kind of dreamt about it, you know, doing less and less people. Um, it's definitely not less work. It's a lot more work. But, um, you know, a major thing for us with Greasy Zoe is, is we opened it not just out of frustration for the industry, but also we wanted a bit of work-life balance. Like I said, we had a child almost two years ago. So we, we really wanted Greasy Zoe to be we, – we operate um, – Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we do a prep day Thursday, a prep day and a farm day on Thursday. So it's we do four full days, but we're closed three days, um, so we have time to, you know, be human. Um, and I think being being a six seater restaurant is an amazing thing to come out of this for us. I don't think we ever thought we would be able to do this. I don't think we would have ever dreamt that it would work, um, but you know, we've, we're making it work and the, we're only one week down. Who knows? In two months, it might prove to just be not, not work and whatever. But um, I think we're pretty, pretty excited for the future. I mean, it, obviously, it's going to get harder before it gets easier in terms of COVID and there'll be more challenges and all that. Um, and, you know, we'll get cancellations and, you know, it's going to go up and down. But at the moment, we're, we're on a high. The adrenaline is fantastic. The last week was just incredible. You know, being in the kitchen on my own, there's no, you are restricted in terms of service. There's only so much 
you can do if you're catering to 12 people at a time. Um, but now with six people, there's room to play a little bit more, which is really fun. And for Lachlan as well, you know, he's, he's got a much harder job than me. He's doing everything. He's meeting and greeting. He's talking wine. He's putting the food down. He's talking about the food, all the cutlery changes and the crockery changes out of control. So he's got a little bit more room and time to, you know, do other incredible things. So I think, you know, the transformation we're excited about. Um, I think it's, it was already, I mean, not to have a big head, but it was already a special restaurant. Um, you know, it's, I don't think there's any other restaurant like what we have. It's, it's awesome. It's this cool brick building. It kind of looks like a, a, you know, an artist's studio on the outside. And it kind of looks like an artist's studio on the inside. It's filled with beautiful artwork from friends and family, local and afar. It's, you know, recycled wood everywhere. It's incredible handmade pottery and cutlery. And it's one person in the kitchen who happens to be a female, which I think is pretty special, creating a meal just for you. And the, the people on the table next to you might get a completely different meal. Like, it's pretty cool. And now it's only six people. Like, what, what a special experience. So, yeah, I think we're pretty excited. If we can make it work, I think we're really excited about the future. Well, I really do hope you make it work. And I've got no doubt you will. Me too. <laughs> and I, I want to come. <laughs> like, it sounds amazing. Um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Zoe, uh, thank you so much for catching up with us. I know you've got a big week ahead um, again with the restaurant mm. open again. And um, uh, hopefully... Uh, we can catch up down the track and see how you're um, going with uh, COVID and the restaurant, but hopefully it's all smooth sailing as we move forward. Absolutely. Thank you very much and stay, you stay safe yourself. Thanks, Zoe. We'll talk soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.